Good morning. Kelly, thank you. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. It's good to be with family. Dear Mark and Lori, Lauren, Kelly, Michael, uh, Ray, Roy, Rob. Hey, hey, family can put up with that stuff. But uh, it's good to be with you in the house of God. It's good to be uh, with family. It's good to be with friends. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. It's just good being here. Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. For in his presence is the fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I'm believing that God's going to do something great today. Again. Amen, Lori. My little pianist. So uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, we want to especially welcome you. My name is John Gallinger. I will be speaking uh, for Jake uh, this morning. He asked me to please step in for him. He, uh, along with Bethany and the kids, are down in La Paz, Mexico, speaking at Pastor Jamie's church there and uh, involved in a presbytery and speaking on Sunday mornings. And so uh, Jake asked me to step in uh, when he ret- uh, arrives back. He's going to be speaking on uh, uh, one of the following Sundays. Uh, what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer, uh, found in the sixth chapter of Matthew. And he asked me to speak on this subject of prayer. Not so much uh, how I got saved or my experience in church, but especially my experience with walking and talking with the Lord. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you today in the house of God, for it's here in the house that change takes place and lives are transformed. Amen? Amen. And I believe God desires to do something, an eternal work. Uh, if it's not just stirring you to realize that just beyond where you're at now, God has something glorious. Or if you're here for the first time, you've never made the, a full commitment to Christ. Uh, God's going to do a work today. I'm believing for it. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for the presence of your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you're here to do something, that which is eternal. And Lord, I thank you for the anointing, that anointing that breaks yokes. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us all an ear to hear. Lord, let the anointing flow and do something great. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's kind of hard seeing the family out there with these lights. You know, behind the beams, you can't see them, but man, it's just, uh, hi there, family. Anybody here for the first time? Welcome. Most of us are family here tonight, or today. You know, when you're in the dark like this, it feels like family. But uh, anyway, I want to begin by sharing a little bit about myself. Uh, I was actually born and raised here in Springfield. I grew up right down the road, actually, on Beverly Street. I remember when this was all corn-filled. Where all those apartments are, it was just all corn-filled, all the way up to Interstate. And then one day, they put a, uh, a road going straight through the cornfield. Uh, it wasn't very wide either, and they called it Gateway, connecting Harlow with uh, uh, Gateway. And the first buildings I remember g- going up here in, in this field were the Gatehouse Tavern. How many remember that? BC days? No. And... Uh, <laughs> And was Skate World, 
straight little road out to a field, and there was this building, Skate World. And uh, I did not grow up in a, in a healthy environment. My mother died when I was three. My dad continually drank after uh, work at the bars, including the Gatehouse Tavern. And uh, it wasn't a very healthy atmosphere. My sisters and brother and I got into a lot of mischief from early on, from elementary school. We were pretty much independent. And one thing we did get into was partying, especially in high school. And when we speak of partying, we, don't re we are not referring to gathering for cake. We gathered for kegers. And uh, I soon began to realize after a number of years of that, by the time I was 17, 18, that it was uh, going nowhere fast. How many can relate to that, the lifestyle? And I knew that I needed out of this lifestyle, but I had nothing to turn to. It was all we knew since elementary school. It was very sad. Uh, I began to uh, see the end results of it. The scripture says, what a man sows, so shall he also reap. And there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's only seasonal. And by the time I was 17, 18, I began to reap the effects, especially watching my uh, two best friends from junior high and high school die of drug overdoses. Another uh, number, a number of other classmates died in drunk driving accidents, suicides. And so I began to realize that uh, I didn't have a bright future. And so I always believed in God. I always believed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. My grandmother on my mother's side would always tell me as a little kid. But I had no idea as a sinning adult how to apply that to my life, how to get out of this situation. And then one day, the Lord brought a gentleman into my life, and he explained it. And I said, this is what I need. I need to be forgiven. I need this monkey off my back. I need a new beginning. And I embraced it with all my heart. The very next day, the Lord took me out of that atmosphere that I grew up in. There was partying going on in our house with my brother and sisters, and it was a terrible environment. And so the Lord immediately took me out of that environment. The next day was my grandfather's birthday. I went to go wish him a happy birthday over in South Eugene. Poured my heart out. He said, you can live here. I began walking to a nearby uh, church, and I, every day the doors were open. I was there. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, single adult Bible study. I was there hungering for the Lord, desiring all that he had to give me. I just left all my old friends. None of them knew where I was at. Even my, my dad and my sisters and brothers, they didn't know where I was at. I was taking refuge, hiding away. I didn't want them to know they were going to come pick me up and take me partying. And so I just stayed low and got a job, eventually moved out up by the U of O. And uh, one of the uh, gentlemen that I worked with was a Christian, lived with a number of other Christians up by the U of O and <clears throat> in a large house. And uh, this brother the Lord used to change my life. And so I'm going to begin today sharing uh, very quickly uh, what this gentleman, uh, how the Lord used this gentleman to uh, change my life. I told him, hey, since we're both uh, working in that same place, live up near the U of O, how about we carpool? I'll come over and pick you up. He said, no problem. When you come, however, uh, door will be unlocked. Just come on in. I may not be there. So uh, sure enough, I got there, and I'm waiting for him, and I sat down on the couch, and I look out, and there he, there he comes about a half block away. He's walking towards the house on the sidewalk, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, is his face glowing? 
And he had such a look of peace and joy on his face. And I thought, man, that looks neat. I want that. Well, he comes, we head off to work. Next day, the same thing. Third day, same thing. So finally, on, our way, on the way to work, I asked him. I said, so where are you every morning? What are you doing? Where are you coming from? And he said, well, every morning, I go on a walk with the Lord. And I talk with the Lord. And I, I said, really? Does he talk back to you? This was all new to me. I, I, I knew nothing of Christianity. I knew nothing of church. And so this was all new to me. I hadn't entered into this realm yet. And so he said, yes, he does. Not audibly, but, and he began to explain, when your spirit is born again, and the spirit of God comes and takes up residency within, he brings life to your spirit. And now you are allowed to draw near to the throne of grace with boldness. You're allowed to walk with God. Your spirit and his spirit now are communing continually. You have to be diligent to tap into that. And as he went on and on, man, I wanted that. I wanted that. I, I was hungry all day for that. And so I said, I want this. What do I need to do? He said, well, tomorrow, set your alarm at an earlier time. Get up and just start talking with him, just like I'm talking to you. And you will begin to build a relationship. So I was so excited. I set my, my alarm clock and uh, I'm thinking, tomorrow, I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to hear God's voice. I'm going to feel his presence. That alarm clock goes off, 4.30 in the morning. I'm wondering, who in the world set that alarm clock? <laughs> Which of my friends is playing a prank on me? And I got up out of bed, walked across my room. I always set it on the other side to motivate me to get out. And I went and turned off my Big Ben. You know, Big Ben, that in and of itself is enough to raise the dead, you know. <laughs> they had the little Ben. I had the Big Ben. My grandmother gave it to me, and I tell you, that can startle you. Well, as I turned it off, I realized that's right. Today is the day I'm going to begin my journey with God. I'm going to begin to walk with the Lord. And the first thing I realized is that there were no emotions there was no feelings of ecstasy like I had the night before. And it dawned on me, this is going to take discipline. And I remember, because this is all new to me, I got uh, in the middle of the floor on the nice carpet there in my little apartment bedroom and uh, within a matter of minutes fell asleep, woke up in a little fetal position, curled up in the middle of the floor. And... Uh, I had enough time just to throw my clothes on and go out the door, and I was discouraged. I knew my friend was going to ask me on the way to work, how did it go? And I was so discouraged. I failed the Lord. I failed him. Failed the world, you know. And uh, he could see I was discouraged. He said, John, don't give up. So many give up, and they settle for churchianity. But God has his, has his hand on you. God put this desire in you for a reason. Don't give up. He said, what you need to do when you get out of bed, you need, to get, you need to walk and start letting the blood flow. And so he encouraged me. Thank God for friends. Amen. Thank God for Christian brothers and sisters. Don't ever take a, uh, advantage of that, that blessing from God. And, and uh, it's something from the Lord, a gift. And so I, the next day, was all pumped again. When that alarm clock went off, I remembered, okay, I know what I'm doing here. 
So I began to pace back and forth in my little room. And each time I would turn, guess what I saw out of the corner of my eye? My bed. But not just my bed, it was my nice, cuddly, duddly blanket. It just took a few more passes, seeing that out of the corner of my eye, and I dove in there and curled up and, and uh, again, woke up, realizing what had happened, had enough time just to get to my friend's house, and by this time, I was really down. I was really frustrated, and again, praise God for friends. He pumped me up. He exhorted me. He encouraged me. He said, John, what you need to do is you need to go for a walk outside. It's winter time. You're not going to fall asleep in anybody's front yard. <laughs> he injected me with hope. And I thought, this is it. He's right. This is going to kick off my relationship with God. I am going to do this. So the next morning, I'm ready. I put on three layers of jackets. I looked like a bloated Eskimo. But it didn't matter because it's 4.30 in the morning. It's all dark outside around the U of O, 14th and Mill. No one's going to see this bloated person talking to himself out loud. <laughs> so I began my journey. I thought for sure this time I'm going to feel his presence. I'm going to hear his voice. And I might even see an angel or two. <laughs> I was pumped again. And I get out there and I start my journey, my walk with God. And I begin to walk around that area, 4.30 in the morning, freezing cold, literally freezing cold. And it didn't take long. And to be honest with you, I begin to feel and say out loud, this has got to be the most boringest experience of my life. I don't feel anything, I don't hear anything, I don't see anything, and I was bummed. You know, when you have great expectation, but little is happening, you know what that equals? Boredom, <laughs> to the max. And I was one bored guy, and I remember coming up to a big church. I don't remember what church this was, but I remember it was a huge church, and on the side they had this huge cross lit up, and a bench sitting there facing it. And I remember sitting on that bench looking up, and I just got honest with God. And I looked down and I said, Lord, this is boring. I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. And this ice cold bench is freezing my butt off. No response, nothing. I got up. I walked back to my house, discouraged. And I realized I probably didn't have any glowy face going on at that time. And I got there, and again, my friend greatly encouraged me on the way to work. And I was given a book a few days later, and it was called With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. I don't remember anything except for one statement that was made from that book. It greatly encouraged me, the book. I highly recommend it, but there was one statement that was made in that book, and it was this. Prayer is a bloody battleground where one dies to the flesh. Prayer is a bloody battleground where one dies to the flesh. 
The flesh is something that the Apostle Paul spoke of through in a number of his letters. And Paul himself said this, no good thing dwells in me that is in my flesh. And I began to realize that there was a battle going on. The scriptures state that this old nature of ours called the flesh, it's something we're born with. It's called a fallen nature in which Paul said, they that live after the flesh will die. And I begin to realize that there was a battle going on. When the Spirit of God comes into your heart as a born-again Christian and regenerates you, there's a battle that begins. You have this old nature called the flesh that you were born with. No one had to teach you or I how to sin. It came natural. No one had to teach you or I when we were little kids. For example, mommy coming and stating, do not take any cookies from the cookie jar. Do not eat any cookies from the cookie jar. Mommy's gone. At three years old, we look around. We don't see her. We climb up there. We open that up. We stiff our pockets with it. And munch out. And then the little kid hears mommy coming, and they run and hide. Little Johnny runs and hides, and uh, mommy finds them. Did you eat any cookies out of the cookie jar? Crumbs all over our face. Did you take any from the cookie jar? No, no. So we can all relate to the fact that no one had to teach us to be selfish, to be rude, to be greedy. It came natural. Stealing, lying, all of that came natural. When the Spirit of God comes in, there's this battle now. And Paul says that the, the, the uh, flesh is at war with the spirit, the spirit is at war with the flesh, for these are in battle against one another, so that you cannot do the things you please. Well, when we're born again, we now have the ability to conquer this nature. Paul said, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the spirit you do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. This word mortify in the Greek means to render powerless, even to the point of death, removing something's influential impulses through self-denial. And as we begin to deny ourselves, we begin to enter into this realm that Christ invites us into. It was what Christ died to give us, was to restore to us the relationship that God had with Adam in the beginning. And so I didn't give up. I didn't give up, and God began to greatly encourage me. And this brother that was teaching me and whatnot, he went to a different church. He went to a church called Eugene Christian Fellowship with Pastor Frank DiMaggio. And uh, it, it, the Lord wouldn't let me leave, though, because I was involved in a lot of children's ministry. But a year and a half later, he released me to go to this church. And uh, Steve Kaler, Pastor Steve Kaler, was the youth uh, single adults pastor, man of zealous prayer and greatly influenced me. But uh, I didn't give up. And God began to encourage me through the scriptures. God began to bring certain verses to my mind and, and allowed me to gain hope that someday I might break through. And one of those scriptures was uh, found in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I found that as we begin as Christians to draw near to God, a battle takes place and, and many Christians stop there. The flesh puts up a fight and that's what was going on with me that first day. There was a battle going on. The flesh knows, in light of what the Apostle Paul revealed, the Apostle Paul said this, 
Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our flesh, who is aligned uh, with the powers of darkness, know that if we break through into this realm of the spirit, we can be mightily used of God, not only hear in his voice, but have the opportunity to obey that voice and be used in a powerful way. And so the spirit of God draws us, but there's this battle. And I didn't give up. And God continued to encourage me. And Jeremiah, it says, they that seek me will find me when they search for me with all their heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. And back then I'm wondering, Lord, how do I find one that's invisible? That's a good question. How do I experience the presence of one I can't see? And my mind went back to Thomas, you remember when Jesus arose from the dead and he appeared before the disciples? Thomas wasn't there, one of the disciples. Jesus came, he left, and Thomas came and the disciples said, we saw the Lord. He appeared to us in his resurrected body. And Thomas said, as most of you recall, unless I see the nail scars in his hand and his side that was pierced with the spear, and I touch him, I will not believe. And a few days later, Jesus appeared and said, Thomas, come, look at my hands. Look at these scars. Touch them. No longer be unbelieving, but believe. And as you recall, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said these words, you see and believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. That would be us. Amen. We're blessed. And uh, God continued to reveal to me uh, in the scriptures those truths that greatly helped me. In Hebrews 11, verse 1 and verse 6, it says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. And that's where this whole issue of understanding how blessed we are. Even though we don't see, we still believe. He goes on to say in verse six, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And I found that you know what he rewards us with? His presence, intimacy with him hearing his voice, being allowed to walk with a holy God and have your sins forgiven. That's the reward, his presence. And it's beautiful, amen? And so I didn't give up. And then one day it happened. I heard his voice. And I'll never forget that day. And very quickly, I want to share it with you. At the church I was going to at the time there in South Eugene, Uh, There was a gentleman that lived next door and he rented a room in a large house. He would come over to the church and visit and after, during services, walk around. He didn't attend, but I uh, enjoyed talking with him. He wasn't all there mentally. There was definitely an issue going on uh, there, but I enjoyed talking with him. And one day he came over after church and uh, asked if I could come help him move. Uh, Most, all the furniture was gone. He just needed some boxes, some help, uh, some help with some boxes. I said, no problem. We go in there and he had a a large closet filled with boxes, mostly games that I'm handing to him. 
And uh, I could hear him as he's walking away. Oh, Monopoly. I love Monopoly. Let's play Monopoly. And I'm thinking, whatever. (laughs) I got to be focused here. I got to be focused. I don't think we said whatever back then. That was newer generation talk. But uh, I got up on the ladder. There was a step ladder. I got up there and I started uh, getting the boxes that were up on the shelf in this closet. And this voice speaks to me. Not, out, not externally, but internally, and says, give him that $50, uh, $50 bill in your pocket. Hi, Carl. And uh, I said, Lord, is that you? Are you going to start speaking to me? Lord, this is great. And then I repeated what was said. Give him that $50 bill in your pocket. I think that's when the flesh started trying to come in. (laughs) And I said, Lord, you're going to have to confirm that one. Those were my exact words as I'm coming down that ladder. I said, Lord, you're going to have to confirm that one. As soon as I turned around, there was this gentleman sitting on the floor in the middle of the room with the Monopoly board all set up. He said, come, let's play Monopoly. I came and sat down. He said, you go first. I rolled the dice. I landed on community chess. I took the card off the top, turned it over, looked at it. It said, you have been elected chairman of the board, page player, $50. (laughs) Uh, God, you funny guy. (laughs) And uh, it was that day I realized God had a sense of humor. But I also needed to obey. And so the gentleman says, "Uh, so uh, come on, what does it say? And it says... I'm supposed to give you $50. And he says, well, come on, pay up. So I reach my hand in my pocket. I hand him a $50 bill. He takes it, looks at it, doesn't say a word, sticks it in his pocket and proceeds to roll. And I said, I don't want to play this game anymore. And then it was like the next week, just like a week later, I'm driving with one of the brothers in the church, really neat guy, family man. He's driving us. We're going somewhere, but he had to stop at his house. He ran inside real quick. And while he's inside, this voice again speaks to me and says, give him that $100 bill in your pocket. You know, eventually I began thinking, man, I'm going to go broke, Lord, if you don't give me a raise. (laughs) But anyway, give him that $100 bill in your pocket. And so this time I did not ask for confirmation. Who knows what the Lord would have done? I can only imagine. So I pull out the $100 bill, and the Lord told me to put it in his Bible, stick it in his Bible. I stuck it in his Bible, and about two weeks later, he comes up to me in church after service and says, John, I wanted to ask you something. Did you, I've been trying to figure something out. Did you put a $100 bill in my Bible? And I said, "Uh, yes, I did. The Lord told me to do that. And he said, I just want you to know how much that built up my wife and I's faith. Our son uh, is a special needs child, and we had to put him in a, uh, a private school, and it's expensive. And the bill was due. We were $100 short. And my wife and I were standing, praying in our living room, holding hands, crying out to God, saying, God, you're a good God. You're a provider. We don't know where this $100 is going to come from, but we look to you. And when he said amen, the Lord, he said the Lord specifically spoke to him and said, go look in your Bible. 
And he walked across the room thinking he was going to receive a word from the Lord, opened it up, and there was a $100 bill. Praise God. Praise God. He came back and his, told me that his wife, and he just cried and cried and cried. And then it was very impacting on me. I got home that day after church, him sharing that, and I, I said, God, you're the God that created heaven and earth. You are the one that appeared and spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You appeared to Moses and spoke to him as one speaks to a friend, and you're going to talk to me. If you really think about that, it's a very powerful thing. The living God is going to allow me to walk with him and talk with him. A long life's narrow way. He lived, he lived. He got carried away there with a the song. But... Uh, Anyway, it was very impactful, and it was like the following week. All these were back-to-back, -back and it was, the Lord was preparing me for something. I was downtown Eugene in a large lobby, and a number of people there, and there was this gentleman sitting on a bench, nicely dressed, sitting there. And the Lord spoke to me and said, go tell him that I love him and I forgive him. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And so I began my mission walking across that room. And let me just fill you in. He told me later what was going on. Uh, and he said this to me later. He said, he said I, I'm running from God. I'm a Christian from California. I'm running from God. I have neat brothers in the Lord there, a beautiful Christian girlfriend but there's this one area in my life I couldn't break, this one area that was like a monkey on my back, and I couldn't break it, and it was overwhelming me with guilt and condemnation. The enemy was just having a heyday with my mind. I've never been to Eugene before. I just arrived tonight. I'm running from God. And he went on to say that as I was sitting here tonight on this bench, in my heart I cried out to God, I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm running from you. Lord, I, I need your help. He said, Lord, if you still love me and forgive me, send a man of God to me tonight who will let me know that you still love me and forgive me. And he says, right when I finished praying that inside my heart, you sat down next to me and you said, the Lord wanted me to tell you that he loves you and forgives you. Praise God. Praise God. I took him to a friend's house that night. He called his girlfriend immediately. Said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. God has forgiven me. God has met with me. And he's revealed himself to me. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. And I'm coming home. Praise God. This was all done back to back, and the Lord, now that I look back, was preparing me to trust in the word of the Lord, that it's truly him when he speaks to me. And he wanted me to know that he, I could trust that voice because of what he was about to speak to me, and it was this. One day, he spoke to me very clearly, and he said, I'm going to be sending you with all the authority and power you will need to carry out a specific task. And he went on to tell me, where he was sending me, one word, and it was Liberia. And I went home that night, and I looked it up, 
And I found out that it was a country on the west coast of Africa established by freed slaves that were, that were set free uh, in the early 1800s. Our fifth president, James Monroe, uh, declared a specific law in which they were releasing African slaves to go back to their homeland. And they shipped them back over there to the coast from which they were taken years before their ancestors. And in 1822, they started a, a, a country, uh, the First Republic of Africa, named the capital Monrovia after James Monroe. And uh, so the Lord made it clear that uh, this is where he was sending me. So I uh, obeyed. The Lord was telling me to go to Bible college. I went to Eugene Bible College, graduated. Uh, after graduation, I am at my place of employment. I still got to live life, you know. I can't be uh, walking in the ozone layer for too long without working. You know, he doesn't work, doesn't eat. Jobs are good, amen. And so after I graduated, I'm at my place of employment, I, uh, walking from the table saw. I was into cabinetry for years, woodworking, and uh, Right as I'm walking away from the cabinet shop, in the middle of the shop, I got all these guys around. It was a big shop. And the Lord speaks to me and says, it's a question. He said, would you be willing to give up that money you received, you're about to receive from your uh, grandparents' estate in order to go to Fuller Theological Seminary in order to carry out all that I'm calling you to do there? And it's like he wanted an answer. And I stopped and I gave him an answer and it was Yes. And so I went off to Pasadena, California, got my, my master's degree, came back, and then uh, it was a year and a half later that uh, many of you sitting here, you sent us off back in 1996 uh, to be missionaries to Liberia, West Africa. Many of you sitting here, you supported us. We were there for 12 years. You supported us the whole time, and you helped us buy prime property one block from the ocean. You helped us build, which is now about a 45,000 square foot facility. We built an elementary school on the property. My wife, uh, dear wife, uh, uh, started an elementary school, Liberty Elementary, on the same compound. Built a, a large church, which uh, the harvest was so plentiful. The Lord was just bringing them in. They had just went through a civil war. The harvest was plentiful. They were ripe. And I was having the time of my life getting to disciple people and teaching them how to walk with God. Amen. It was the joy of my life. Uh, and <clears throat> it was in 2004 that I was contacted by the Assembly of God, the vice president of Global University, asking if I'd be willing to be the national director over Liberia for their university. Their Located in Springfield, Missouri, they're the largest education, one of the largest Christian education by extension uh, universities in the world. And they have uh, offices all over the world, but because of the Civil War, they didn't have one in Africa. And they heard about uh, uh, the work I was doing there. They knew of me. My wife, when we got married, she was from the Assembly of God. Her pastor, Pastor Vern Marks, became the uh, superintendent over all of Oregon. And so they knew of me. Uh, trusted me, and so many of you sitting here, you paid, you, you may not know it, but you paid for me to fly over to Springfield, Missouri and go through one uh, whole week of training and went back, and uh, we started up a full on-campus program there on our compound, later on began to build classrooms. Uh, our first term of our first year, we had over 300 applicants wanting into the program to get their bachelor's in theology. So many librarians hungry to be pastors, hungry to be church leaders, 
And it was the most fulfilling thing, taking them and seeing them graduate with their bachelor's degree, pouring my heart into these men who would become pastors. Now they're pastoring churches all over West Africa. Many who were my students were not just from Liberia, but Cameroon, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, uh, uh, Ghana. And now they're pastoring, influencing thousands of people a week, praise God, in, in West Africa. And uh, it was about three years ago, right uh, before, a year before COVID hit, I received, uh, uh, excuse me, I was contacted by the gentleman that I trained, raised up, and, and took him through the call, Bible college, and uh, he graduated with honors. Pastor Momalu Dukli, who's now the pastor, I t- released him uh, to be the pastor, released uh, those that I trained to be the elders, and they all, many of them also went and started churches. And uh, I got a call from him uh, about uh, three years ago, as I stated, and he said, Pastor, we got a problem. And uh, I said, uh, you know, usually when someone's in Africa and they say they have a problem, it's usually big. <laughs> and uh, having lived there 12 years, uh, uh, problems are everyday occurrence. And uh, I said, oh, no, what is it? He said, we ran out of space for the children, children's ministry on Sunday morning. I said, what are you talking about? You have all the, the Liberty Elementary School classrooms, all the global r- classrooms. You have the two large conference rooms. You have the whole study, uh, library study hall. What do you mean? He says, Pastor, we have over 800 children now on Sunday morning. Praise God. Praise God. He says, the church is packed. The, the balcony is packed. We're running three services now. And you know, it just reveals what God can do through someone hungry enough to break through, not giving up, and says, Lord, here am I, send me. But not only is wanting to hear the voice, but when they do hear it, they obey. God wants to use all of us to be a powerful tool in the hands of God, an instrument in his hands. Praise God. Praise God. He let me know that uh, uh, the church is doing great. The elementary school is doing great that my wife started. Speaking of my dear wife, Lee. Lee, is that you back there? There you are. Now I can see you. You can't see with this. But anyway, hi, Jessica. So my dear wife, Lee, speaking of my dear wife, when I was single and the Lord had called me to the mission field, I was a junior in college. And I remember crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I need a wife. And all the men say amen. I said, Lord, I need a wife. Lord, I don't want to go to the mission field alone. I said, Lord, you yourself state in the scriptures that it's not good for man to be alone. And I'm lonely. Lord, your word goes on to say that uh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I said, Lord, I, I, I want that favor. I need that favor. And so the Lord says, can you wait one year? September 15th. I think, this is exciting. Praise the Lord. Yes, Lord. A year almost goes by. It's August. I hear about this woman of God down in Rogue River Valley, the Rogue Valley in uh, Southern Oregon. And she's this woman of God, just intense for the Lord, loves Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, prays all the time, and she's called to be a missionary. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is great. I was excited. How many men 
Remember getting excited when you're about to meet your wife, possibly? Possibly. So anyway, I was giving her address, and uh, I wrote her this long letter. It turned out to be 11 pages long. <laughs> Long-winded, lonely man. <laughs> 11 pages that I never met her before. I sent this on the day that... Uh, the Lord told me a year beforehand, September 15th. I sent it before I went off for work, so about 5.30 in the morning down at the downtown main postal service. And uh, she got the letter the very next day. Back then, the postal service uh, uh, didn't route things to Portland and Boogieville, and it went straight to where you were sending it. Well, anyway, she got it the very next day, September 16th. Now, a year beforehand, she was in prayer and the Lord specifically told her that you will be hearing from your husband on September 16th, a year from now. Praise God. God is real, amen? God is real, and he's calling each and every one of us into this relationship. It was a, it's been a beautiful life. I had a miserable life. Bong-heading, lost kid growing up in Springfield who doesn't, as my dad would say, know his rear end from a hole in the ground. But God can take somebody and, and make gardens out of graves, as we sang today, amen? He can bring beauty out of ashes. And life has been good. Tyler back there with our granddaughter, Jessica, and who was only two when we grew up. Her and Tyler blessed us with a grandchild. Our son, whose birthday was last weekend, he was born in Africa. He's now a junior at Portland Bible College. Just came down to celebrate his birthday with a bunch of his dorm buddies last week. They all came to church and uh, enjoyed Pastor Jake immensely. And uh, it's been good. Life is good when you're forgiven. Amen. Life is good when you, with all your heart, lay down those things that grieve and offend and quench the living God and allow to do things his way and walk with him. Very quickly, I want to end with this. It's the most important thing that I want to leave with you today. And that is this, that God began something in me that happened way back at the age of 18. But the number one thing that happened back then was the sin issue was dealt with. And just very quickly, I want to share something with you. And it has to do with the provision God made to deal with the sin issue that keeps us actually from coming into the presence and walking with God. Back in the Old Testament, God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through his lineage, he was going to bring the Messiah. But until then, he established, it wasn't man's ordinance, it wasn't God's law. It was the law of God when it came to dealing with the sin issue. It was temporary, but it was foreshadowing what was to come. And what they had to do was, through the uh, tribe of Levi... They, God established what was known as the Levitical priesthood in which the high priest once a year had to come before God with the blood of a spotless lamb. He had to shed an innocent lamb's blood and bring it and sprinkle it in the presence of God upon the Ark of the Covenant, which inside was the law, God's holy law, which we break every day. And the soul that sins must die the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when the Lord would look down, he would see the law, his just ordinances, but he would see the blood. And when Jesus came on the scene 
At the age of 30, he appeared before John the Baptist to be baptized, and John said this, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It was that blood of Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice shed on our behalf gave us an avenue to the Father. Praise God. Jesus' blood is what separates us from all other religions. It's the blood. The sin issue must be dealt with before a holy, righteous creator. And Jesus said some very sobering words. I'm, I'm going to end with this. Preachers always say that, don't they? Jesus said that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The first recorded words out of his mouth, Mark chapter 1, when he began his ministry were these. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said some very sobering words at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but they which do the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice sin. That word practice means something that's repetitious, something that's a lifestyle. These people standing before God on that day will have never repented. It sounds like they were churchgoers. But Jesus made it clear on that day. Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice sin. In other words, without established repentance, there is no established relationship. And God is going to speak a word to us from Isaiah chapter 1, and it's this. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come out from amongst them and be ye clean, says the Lord, and I shall receive you. Touch not the unclean thing, and I shall be your God. I shall be a father unto you, you shall be children unto me. In Psalm 81, verse 13 and 14, God, through the psalmist David, said this. Oh, that my people would listen to me, says the Lord. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and stretch out my hand against their adversaries. We all have adversaries. We all have enemies of our soul that would try to keep us back from not only entering into a true relationship with God, but even that initial born-again experience. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father, we look to you. Lord, on the day of Pentecost, they were pierced to the heart and they cried out as Peter preached, saying, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent. Be baptized for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is for you and your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord God would call unto himself. Lord, we just quiet our souls right now. Those that have been Christians for years, attending church, those that might be here for the first time, those that have maybe 
never made that decision before you, Lord. Father, we open our hearts. We open our hearts this day and we say, come, Lord Jesus. I stretch out my hand. I take your hand. Lord, I ask right now that you would help us see and understand what you're putting your finger on. Right now, the Lord's just pointing out to me something. I want to be obedient. There's some here, you're living a lie. You've been living a lie before your spouse. You've been living a lie before others. And God is saying, you're being pulled into the shadows. And with each lie, you're going deeper and deeper into darkness, says the Lord. But I am here this day to set captives free. I'm here this day to open prison doors. I'm here to break chains, says the Lord. You need to bring that into the light through confession, says the Lord. And I will set you free. And you will experience a clear conscience once again. You will wake up in the morning experiencing a clear conscience and freedom. The freedom I died to give, says the Lord. There's others here. You have enemies. And the enemy has come and taken up residency and refuses to be evicted. But again, the Lord God is here in our midst as a mighty warrior, ready to extend his hand against our adversaries. Subdue our enemies. If we would repent, if we would say, Lord, I'm ready to move on with you. Lord, I commit these souls into your hands. There might be some of you here and you know the Lord is calling you and the Lord is asking you to be willing to lay down your sin, to invite him into your heart and to not look back but know that he has a beautiful future in Christ. Amen. Amen. Tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, my brother's going to be sharing a little bit about what it uh, means to get involved in the house of God, for it is here that your roots need to go down if you do not have a church, uh, and God desires to plant you and let fruit come forth from your life. But tonight, we're going to be meeting at 6 o'clock. It's only for one hour, and uh, during that time, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. The presence of God's going to be here, but we also have tonight, we're going to have baptisms in which we'll have a uh, mobile baptism right over here, right about where our brother's standing. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized or you got baptized when you were a wee little one and didn't truly understand it and were totally living independent from the Lord since then, I want to encourage you, take that first step of obedience. When you begin to be obedient, especially with the first few steps, repentance, water baptism, you're, 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 you're laying out the path for God to meet you and take you somewhere that's beautiful. Through personal experience, I can say that.